so excited this morning to get to introduce to you the guest speaker. My name is Todd Rosenwald, and I get the privilege to introduce to you the most beautiful woman in the world. And I happen to know her personally. Uh, I have been married to this woman for 25 years. This year we celebrated 25 years. And I want to testify and tell you that she is the real deal. She loves the Lord with all her heart. She always puts him first. And what she's going to preach today, she lives out. She walks it. And as she comes up, you can tell, number one, that I married up, right? <laughs> Way up. And uh, what you can't tell, though, is that she has given birth to six children. People don't know if they should laugh or cry or shout or what, but it's a wonderful thing to have kids. Amen? And five of them are here and one of them is back there. So anyhow, let me introduce to you my wonderful wife, Michelle, and she's going to preach the Word of God today. Amen? Give her a welcome. Good morning. Happy 4th of July. I know probably so many of you are going to be with family and friends this afternoon, enjoying food, fun, and fellowship. So I really appreciate you all being here this morning. Um, I wanted to comment first on the awesome worship that was today. Was that not incredible? <laughs> truly, truly incredible. And I must say, the worship leader's kind of hot. <laughs> I just had to do that because he always, when he introduces me, he always embarrasses me. And I have never had a chance to embarrass him like that, calling him hot. So <laughs> I'm doing it today. Um, I wanted to introduce myself first for any newcomers who don't know who I am or who we are. Um, I am, like you know, Todd's wife. We um, have served in Asia for many years with our family, with our kids. And we are the founders of His, His Feet International. It is our nonprofit that ministers to the unreached and the poor and the leprous. And we're just so in awe of God, of how He's always gone before us and what He's just done. What He's done. It's really just amazing what God has done. But our hearts are for the unreached people groups. And what does that mean? That means um, those who have never had the chance to hear about Jesus. To them, what is a Jesus? And it's just such, um, just in America, we just are really, really blessed. And we are privileged to um, still honor God in this nation. Um, so that's just really want us to appreciate that and the freedom of worship that we have on this day of freedom and independence. Today, I'm going to, we are going to unpack the parable, a parable. Um, in Matthew 13, 10 and 11, Jesus, uh, uh, Jesus parabled and he shared the with the disciples why he does this. So the um, Disciples asked him, why do you parable? And he, because Jesus, when he walked on this earth, he would minister to the multitudes by telling them kingdom stories through parabling. 
And his response to them was, the secrets of the kingdom of heaven are given to you, but not to them. And I love parables. I really am amazed at what parables can do, because when you look at parables by face value, on the surface and you just read them, you could just read and pass on, on right by and not really see the hidden secrets and the hidden gems that are, could be brought out if we just stop and park it there. But if we park there and ask the Holy Spirit to reveal what he wants to bring out to us, boy, can he really, really do some awesome things through his word and just make it illuminate and come out strong, what he wants to get across. So today, we are going to parable Luke 19, 11 through 27. But before we go into that, I want to share with you some things that, we, that I hope that we all gain from this parable by the end of the sermon. Have you ever doubted your effectiveness and purpose in life? Have you ever wondered what the kingdom of God is? Have you ever wanted to know what your part is in his kingdom? As believers... Our part is tied to the kingdom, to his kingdom. So let's turn to, let's look at Luke 19, 11 through 27. And I wanted to share with you that these are Todd's glasses. I usually don't have reading glasses, but I'm going to attempt this today. So if I look out of sorts, it's because I am with these glasses. So before we get into the parable of the minas, I need to explain to you before we dig in certain things. Minas is a measure of weight or money. It is about three months' wages. So this parable isn't just about money. There's so much more hidden secrets in it that I hope that we can pull out as we go through. Now, there are three players, three main players in this parable. The nobleman who became king. Jesus, who represents, when we're reading about the nobleman who became king, Jesus represents him. The citizens who represent Israel, but the citizens also represent the world. And the ten servants who are believers, who are us are the believers. So I'm going to read through 11 through 27, and then we're going to get started and dig in. So let's get started. The parable of the Minos, verse 11 through 27. Now as they heard these things, he spoke another parable, because he was near Jerusalem, and because they thought the kingdom of God would appear immediately. Therefore, he said, a certain nobleman went into a far country to receive for himself a kingdom and to return. So he called 10 of his servants, delivered to them 10 minas, or money, measures of money, and said to them, do business till I return, till I come. But his citizens hated him and sent a delegation after him saying, we will not have this man to reign over us. And so it was that when he returned, he received the kingdom. He then commanded these servants to whom he had given the money to be called to him, that he might know how much every man had gained by trading. Then came the first, saying, Master, your minna has earned ten minas. 
He said to them, well done, good and faithful, good servant, because you were faithful in the small, have authority over 10 cities. And the second came saying, master, your minna has earned five minas. Likewise, he said to them, you also be over five cities. Then another came saying, master, here is your minna, for I have kept it away hidden in a handkerchief, for I feared you because you were an austere man. You collect what you did not deposit and you reap what you did not sow. And so he said to him, out of your own mouth, I will judge you, you wicked servant. You knew that I was an austere man collecting what I did not deposit and reaping what I did not sow. Why then did you not put my money in the bank that at my coming, I might have collected it with interest? And he said to those who stood by, take the minah from him and give it to the one who has 10 minas. But they, but they said to him, master, he has 10 minas. For I say to you that to everyone who has will be given. And from him who does not have, even what he has will be taken from him. But bring here the enemies of mine who did not want me to reign over them and slay them before me. Powerful, powerful parable. I remember when, um, as I was working on this, um, boy, there's so much in here. There's so many things that would just be brought up that I'd have to say, no, just stay, stay the course because there's just so much in here. So let's go back and read verse 11 and we'll talk about it. Now, as they heard these things, he spoke another parable because he was near Jerusalem and because they thought the kingdom of God would appear immediately. Now, this, Jesus knew what they thought. He knew what the multitudes and disciples thought. They thought that, that Jesus would deliver them from Rome's oppressive rule now. And that he would, um, they expected him to restore Israel as, it, as it's uh, a sovereign, powerful nation. But Jesus spoke this parable ahead of time and, and told them what it really meant to correct their expectation. Their Incorrect expectation. This parable speaks to the mystery of the kingdom. This entire parable is on the mystery of the kingdom. The kingdom had not yet come in its fullness, but they expected it to come immediately. I'm going to read a usurp, an insert from um, Todd's book that it's in editing process right now, and I just thought it really explains it really, really well. This is the mystery of the kingdom, that before the final future judgment, Jesus came bringing his kingdom to offer himself as the final sacrifice, bringing the powers of the future age to earth and offering his kingdom to mankind through faith in Jesus and his death on the cross to save them from eternal judgment as as well as defeating the powers over Satan and hell. The mystery is that we live in the in-between. Remember those words as we go forward. In-between. The time of Jesus' first coming, when it was inaugurated in his kingdom, and his second coming, when he will consummate it. In the meantime, we live in the continual succession of breakthrough of the kingdom. The kingdom of God came in Jesus and has been present ever since. 
However, the kingdom of God exists simultaneously with this present age until its final consummation when Jesus, return, Jesus returns. In a nutshell, Jesus came, he died. He was the final sacrifice. Jesus will return. We live in the present age of the in-between. We are gonna unpack and talk about and discover what that in-between, what are we left with? What are we supposed to do from the time that he left to go be at the right hand of the Father and the time that he returns? What is that, our part in that? My, which brings me to my first point, engage. Now, my version says in verse 13, do business until I come. But the ESV says engage in business. The nobleman said here, do business until I return. The nobleman didn't just tell them to do business. He equipped them. He equipped them. What did he equip them with? He equipped them with a minna. He equipped them with something that he gave each and every one of us. But the importance of engaging in this business God's mission is, this is God's mission. God's mission is the kingdom of God. Now, do you remember when Joseph and Mary were searching for Jesus? They could not find him. They were searching. He was 12 years old. Even Mary says how anxious she was when she couldn't find him. And, she, and when she got to, found him, she, was, she said, we were searching for you. Where, where were you? And Jesus said as a 12-year-old, he wasn't at a party. He wasn't, you know, at the store. He wasn't doing menial things. He said, didn't you know I must be about my father's business? Even then, at 12 years old, he said, didn't you know I'd be in my father's house and I must be about my father's business? Now, what is our part? The father's business. Jesus tells us to engage. Let's look at what that entails. Because just like the nobleman gave them a minah, Jesus gave us a purpose and has equipped us with the resources that he wants to accomplish that through us. Each and every one of us, he has given something. None of us can say God has not planned beforehand to give you. He's given you a minah. He's given you a purpose. He has something for you to do that he's planned for you from the beginning of this, of this world. He's birthed something in you. What is, what is that and what does that mean for us? Why? What business did he get, give for you? You know what? I don't know. I can't answer that for you. Only you can and only you can go and, and, and spend time with the Father and find out what he has for you. But some of you, you were born to do business. You know with every ounce inside of you, you were born to do business. Maybe you uh, have a creative bend and you were born to be creative, to do, do everything you do with creativity. Maybe, maybe you were born to be a mama and to raise your kiddos up in the Lord. Maybe... You were born, and your purpose was to be fragrant to the Lord and just sit at his feet. We are all called. We are all disciples. All believers are disciples. We are all called to love, 
to pray, to disciple, and to bear fruit. Well, what does this mean? The Father's business is God's mission. I think it's really, really awesome if we just look back right now at 19, Luke 19, verse 10, right before we get into the parable. Jesus spoke something as he was at Zacchaeus' house. And right before he shared this parable to the disciples and the multitudes, he said this, For the Son of Man has come to seek and to save that which is lost. That is the kingdom. That is God's heart. That is God's mission. That is his his total purpose riddled throughout the scripture of why he came, that which to seek and save which is lost. This needs to be our mission. With whatever minna God has given you, whatever purpose he has given you to carry out, whatever that may be, if you own a business, keep at the forefront of your heart to allow God to multiply it through the focus of that Jesus has come to seek and save that which is lost, and that must be our mission too. With whatever he has called you, whatever purpose, he's given each and every one of us a purpose, if not many purposes. It's incredible how faithful he is, that he's, he's faithful to multiply it. And God's mission is to reach the world before the return of Jesus. God's mission is what we must engage in. We are all called to make disciples to love and to serve and to be fruitful. What measure has God given you? Because he's given you a minnah, so he's equipped you to see that minnah multiplied. He's given it, so he will do it as we are obedient to him and as we surrender to him. So how do we do that? How do we multiply what God has given us? When, right before Jesus sent out the disciples, he said to them, he commanded them and said, as you go, preach, saying the kingdom of heaven is at hand. Heal the sick, cleanse the lepers, raise the dead, cast out demons, freely as you have received, freely give. give. What God has given you, what men of God has given you, Give away. Freely allow God to use for his kingdom glory and for his mission on this earth. Give it to him. And he's the one that will give the increase and multiply it. Because we're all, all believers are called to be disciples. This is the kingdom invitation to use what God has given you. So let's read verse 14. But his citizens hated him and sent out a delegation after him saying, we will not have this man to reign over us. Isn't it interesting? Jesus was was rejected and even till this day the world rejects him. Which brings me to my next point. Jesus is king. Jesus is king. Let's read verse 15. And so it was that when he returned, having received the kingdom, so the nobleman left, received his kingdom, and he returned. And he called the servants, the ten servants, to himself to tell, to tell him what they did with what he'd given him, with the minna that he had given them. 
Jesus is king, and he's coming. He is returning. This king called his servants to give an account for what they had done with what he had given them. Now let's recognize, let's please recognize his heart was not to reprimand them, but to reward them. So this king did not leave and receive his kingdom to come back to reprimand them when he, gave, when he asked for an account. He wanted to reward them. He wanted to reward them. He was eager to reward them. And just as Jesus in Romans 14, 12 calls us, he will get, call us to give an account. Why? Because he desires to reward us. He desires to reward us. How much more this, this nobleman was man. He was not God. And he came and he wanted to reward them. How much more does your heavenly father want to, when, he, when you're face to face with him, re, not only when you're face to face with him does he want to reward you, he wants to reward you on this earth in the now, in this present age. That is kingdom breakthrough. That is the in-between that we are in right now. Kingdom breakthrough. He wants to reward you now. Now, am I talking about just like material? No, I'm talking about so much more. Increase in fruitfulness in your life and peace and joy before the Father. I'm talking about so much more on this earth that he wants to give us. So he's not, with, he's not wanting to withhold and he's not wanting to, um, to reprimand us. He is wanting to reward us. Jesus is Lord and King, but our Jesus, as opposed to this King, is a loving, kind, and merciful King. He's full of goodness, full of goodness. Let us not fail to recognize his kingship as we embrace the importance of surrender to him. Let's allow him to take his rightful place as King in our lives. What I mean is, is that thing that God has birthed inside of you and put there that you just cannot not do or you will explode because it's in every fiber of your being. You know your purpose already. Some of us have yet to know what God has. So my advice would be to just sit with the Father. He wants to reveal purpose to you that he has for you. Each and every one of us has it. But if you already know it, and it's just festering and birthing inside, inside of you, and just, you can't deny it, you'll explode. That is what you must do. That is called surrender and obedience. Ephesians 2.10 tells us that we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, that that which God has prepared beforehand that you would walk in, you and I would walk in. God has prepared before the foundations of the earth what he wants you to walk in. So he's faithful to carry it out for you and to give the increase and to multiply it in you. He does it as we remain and abide in him and as we realize that we, could, we need to stop striving, that we can just sit at his feet and spend time with him and abide in him and everything we do comes at the forefront of of him going before you. God has prepared good things for us to walk in. Good things for us to walk in. 
God can do so much with our yes and obedience. He is still king. He is on the throne. He is a good, loving king. But he does ask us to obey because he has so much more for us to have in the now, in this present age, and in the age to come in heaven. But we must remain abiding in the vine. He won't leave you alone to do it. When you and I stop striving on our own, we, we start to see him take it and make fruit of it. He himself take, takes that measure and multiplies it. It's so sweet. Let's read verse 16 to 19. Then came the first, saying, Master, your minna has earned ten minas. And he said to him, Well done, good servant, because you are faithful in the little, have authority over those ten cities. And the second came, saying, Master, your minna has earned five minas. Likewise, he said, You also be over five cities. Just like the nobleman who became king wanted to reward his servants, Jesus wants to reward us and bless us. And he, how sweet and what joy we will have when we see him face to face and he says, well done, good and faithful servant. You were faithful to take that minah that I gave you and that I equipped you with and that I multiplied in you on this present time and this in-between that we live in until we await his return. Well done, good and faithful servant. These servants prepared for his return, and they produced and were rewarded for it. Now, let's read verse 20 to 25. Then another came saying, Master, here is your minna, which I have kept put away in a handkerchief. For I feared you, because you are an austere man. Let's stop here. Austere. In the Greek, it means severe, harsh, stiff. So he said, because you are a harsh man, a stiff man, you collect what you did not deposit, and you reap what you did not save. So, and he said to them, out of your mouth, Out of your mouth I will judge you, you wicked servant. You knew that I was an austere man, collecting what I did not deposit and reaping what I did not sow. Now, I want to jump back to verse 14 real quick and read this real quick. But his citizens hated him and sent a delegation after him saying, we will not have this man reign over us. Isn't this like the world? Isn't they do not want to surrender to the rule and reign of Jesus? They don't know. They don't know. They don't know how good it is to be under his lordship. He's a good lord. He's a good king. They don't know. And so the popular opinion, I think, of the, we'll call him the handkerchief servant. Maybe he believed a false view. Maybe he believed what popular opinion said about this king. Because remember, the citizens hated him and they didn't want him to rule over him. Does the nobleman admit here that he was harsh? He wasn't harsh. Because what did he do for the other servants? He rewarded them. He blessed them. So maybe... 
Just maybe this handkerchief servant had misperception, of a, a false view of this king. It just wasn't true. It was all a misconception. The king, in actuality, blessed the other servants for their obedience. And he rewarded the other two and gave them increase. And the servants produced. And what else did he give them? On top of that was he said, you have authority over them. We have authority through his name. Why? He feared him. He feared him. He had a misconception. Which brings me to my third point. The enemy deliberately hopes to disable our effectiveness through causing us to fear. The difference was the viewpoint and the perception about the king between the other, other servants and this handkerchief servant. He had the wrong thinking in his head about who the king really was. And it dominated. And in the end, it was costly. We as Christians can find ourselves in that same struggle, can't we? I know that I can. We allow a false view or a false narrative about who God really is in our head, and we allow it to take up residence. And God never intended, us for, to, intended for us to struggle in that. He never intended that for us. He has so much more freedom, mental freedom, spiritual freedom that he wants us to have. He does not want us in that mental struggle. 2 Corinthians 10, 4, and 5 says, and I call that stinking thinking, really. The weapons of our warfare are not carnal, but mighty in God for pulling down strongholds, casting down arguments and every high thing that exalts itself against the knowledge of God, bringing every thought into captivity to the obedience of Christ. The enemy attacks our mind, but God wants to renew our thinking through his word, but he also wants to renew the pattern of our thinking. The pattern, not just, we don't just take every thought captive to the obedience of Christ. He wants to renew our whole pattern of thinking. So we view God as who he really is and not being like the handkerchief servant who viewed him with false narratives in a false view that was costly in the end. Psalm 27.1 says, The Lord is our stronghold. The Lord is our stronghold. And God will, because he loves you so much, he will one by one, step by step, piece by piece, tear down those strongholds, that stinking thinking, those patterns, those viewpoints in your life that hold you back because he loves you that much and he doesn't want you or I to stay in that place. The handkerchief servant viewed the king with wrong lenses. I wonder if sometimes we can fall into viewing our loving, kind, heavenly father who is constant one, who is faithful, who is trustworthy. He's so opposite. And this man, this nobleman that became king is man. And he still wanted to reward his kids and he, his servants and he still was good to them. 
how much more does God want to change our pattern of thinking, turn it around, renew it, and throw it away so that we can move forward and not allow, no longer allow the enemy to keep us disabled because of fear, and we cannot be effective if we are stuck in fear. I so can relate to this parable. I so have found myself through things that have happened in our lives over, for the most part, the last seven years, some things have gone on, uh, have happened with our family, um, a loss of our foster child, like just so much that has tried to put fear in me to rob me of the effectiveness to go forward and to stay back from what God has really wanted me to be effective in. Because of stinking thinking, because of wrong patterns, because it tried to shove me into not believing that he was trustworthy and that he was still faithful. It was a very, very hard time. And I just see through the, through the whole process past that of how God is renewing. He, he's renewing. He wants to renew our mind. He wants to renew my mind. And he continually does it. He continually proves that he is trustworthy. He is faithful. We don't need to be stuck in fear. And if you or I have not to the fullest used the minna that he has given us, there's no shame in that. There's no shame in love and there's no shame in Jesus. He, there's always time to begin again. And you know what? He wastes nothing. He will start from right where you are and say, let's begin again. From the beginning to the end, he's close to you. Remain in the vine. Remain and abide in him. And I'm telling you, what he has for you and for the kingdom of God is profound. It's profound. But he wants you to ask the question that he's asked the disciples. Who do you say that I am? So let's not believe like the servant, the handkerchief servant. Let's believe God when he asked the disciples in three out of the four accounts in the gospel, who do you say that I am? So let's ask ourselves, who do we say that he is? He is good. He is faithful. He is close. He is father. He is lover. He is constant one. He'll leave the 99 behind to find you. And there's no place you can hide that he won't find you because that's how much he loves you and I. That's how much he loves you and I. There's no fear in the true love of the father. Now, I want to read verse 27 really quickly as I conclude. But bring those whose enemies of mine who did not want me to reign over them and slay them before me. Now, I want to bring up the verse, verse 10 real quick, that we said should be on the forefront of of a mandate from God on everything that we do and that we allow God to produce in us. That is what is the heart of God, to seek and save that which is lost. So in everything we do that God has given us, that he wants to multiply in us, that needs to be why we do what we do. The mission of God is his purpose. His purpose is to seek and save that which is lost. So while we wait for the return of Jesus, we have been given this task to seek and to save that which is lost. It is God's mission. He gives us everything we need. He has equipped us to multiply those minas that he's given us. So let's, you and I, not let fear and misconception about God and his character hold us back and cause us to hide what he's given us. 
Believe God for greater things and use what he's given you in faith and he will give you more. With that on our forefront, the the mission that lost are his mission. He's a good father. Will you join in God's mission to tell the lost, those who do not know of this great good father, that he's good, that he's so good? Let's join God in this. Let's pray. Lord, I just pray in your name, Lord, that those hidden things that you have revealed, Lord, would that you would take what we give you in obedience and surrender because you're good and that you would multiply it, but that we would always have God's mission as the forefront in everything in our everyday lives and everything we do. Let's have the heart of God to seek and to save that which is lost. Thank you.